welcome to the BNP Realm Podcast. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thank you for joining me today. Today's show is P is for self-care, self-care, an explanation of how I use the Wim Hof method, my gratitude meditation, and some U.S. political comedy that gets pretty raw. Hope you're ready. Now, A few things that I am not sure are clear from the podcast. First, when you finish the first round of breathing, the first 30 breaths, you are going to exhale and then not breathe in for as long as possible. I want to be very clear. Exhale and don't breathe in. I believe I say something about hold your breath, but doesn't hold your breath imply an inhale and holding it? right? Regardless, on breath 30, you breathe out, and then you just get to chill out for a while. Personally, that's my favorite aspect of the breathing. You feel a little body high, and it is a great space to meditate in. Now, second, it may seem like you are going to have to suffer through my stuffy nose breathing for all three rounds. Not to fear. I only do those 30 breaths on round one. Then I chat for a bit, and last, I share with you the way the Wim Hof app sounds. After the the third round, I'm going to play his commentary, when you've breathed out and you are just chilling. Breathed out? Is that right? Is breathed the past tense of breathe? I don't know. It's 4.47 a.m., folks. Give me a break. All right, that clears things up for the first part. Next. I also mentioned that this method is good for the coronavirus. Well, screw that thing. It's good for you anytime, any day, any year, any life. I believe Wim Hof himself reiterates this, but again, I kind of mess it up in my talking. And I say it is useful for the dreaded CV. But no, I've been doing this since last May, long before I ever even heard of the CV. And I will continue it long after the CV just becomes one more aspect of a thing that we have to deal with that might cause us some trouble down the road, rather than the pandemic, to end the world as we know it. Sorry, folks, but the gallows humor and humor in general is a key. And that's why I share with you the comedy bit that... By far, I've spent the most time creating at the end of this episode. I think you're going to like it. In fact, the more you are a political junkie like me and can remember weird-ass things, such as Trump's Taco Bell tweet on Cinco de Mayo in 2016, I love Mexicans, the more you're going to get out of it. But not to worry. There's some pretty raunchy, body-based humor, too. Gotta appeal to all types, right? But... Before the comedy, you're going to get me talking about the cold shower aspect of the Wim Hof Method. Brr, I love it. The Wim Hof Method, you see, it's changed my body and my life. And then you're going to get a rundown of my woo-woo meditation technique that I think is actually pretty kick-ass. Okay, folks, this is a pretty hefty episode, and it ends, as always, with two chapters from my 2015 novel, The Teacher and the Tree Man. We are nearing the halfway point of this mammoth book. Feels like I've been reading it forever. 
This is Book 2, Chapters 15 and 16. Okay, as always, enjoy the show. Okay, this is the first part of a two-part bit here on the Wim Hof Method. This first part will cover the breathing aspect, and the second part will go more into, well, you'll hear a message from Wim about why this is important and a useful thing for coronavirus, and then you'll hear a little rap from me about the cold showers, how I do them, and some of the benefits I've received from these met- this method. Okay, this first part, though, is on the breathing. And for me, what I do is I simply, I mean, you can sit up like, you know, Indian style, cross-legged. I guess Indian style is no longer PC, is it? Um, and, or you can lay down. I like laying down just because I can breathe better. And it's I can do the relaxing part better. Uh, oh, hold on here a sec. And you lay down or sit up. And bear with me. I'm going to play, simply play Wim's. The, the app and have it on here and that way if the app should ever disappear maybe we'll have my podcast where we'll hear it <laughs> we can use it but um i don't think that's going to happen and it's also on youtube but okay okay start now and i'm going to play with him talking too because i like his voice all right you ready this is right there's gonna be three rounds so here we go do you want whim to guide you with audio you can yes or no and i always say yes then well you'll see what i do here we go. Breathe in and letting go. Breathe in. Breathe out. Go with the flow of the breath. In, out. In, out. Into the belly. Into the chest and let go. Like a wing. Make it circle. Fully in. Letting go. Just keep on going. Whenever you feel a reflex, lightheadedness, looseness in the body, let go. And stop breathing. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. In with peace, out with stress. Fully in and letting go. Just keep on going. Okay, now at this point, I held my breath for round one for one minutes and 40 seconds. And then you breathe in. And you hold that for 15 seconds. And then you do the next round. And so then that would be round two, 30 of those. And then I hold my breath. That one actually was at two minutes and 16 seconds. And then breathe in for 15 seconds. And then you do round three, 30 breaths in and out. And then... I'm actually going to play for you round three just to hear what Wim says in the background. And I usually, like I said, I usually just turn that off because I don't want to know the timing. 
Um, I don't want to hear him say it's two minutes left or one minute. You know, I want or two, you're at two minutes. I don't want to know. I just want to breathe in and or hold the breath and naturally when I'm ready. And what I usually do is a uh, key to this is you listen to your body. Uh, your mind is going to tell you that at times like, oh, I need to breathe. I should be breathing. But you're, you're going to find it's very interesting. You're going to find that actually once you get past that kind of mind trying to control your, you know, like mind trying to say, hey, we need we got to breathe. We're going to die. Um, once you get past that, if you just listen to your body, you'll know uh, you'll know when you need to breathe, you'll know. And I can usually tell about 20 seconds beforehand. And then so then I'll pick up my phone and look at where I'm at and then I'll try to hold it and stop it at a, a 10 minute mark, you know, or I'm sorry, 10 second mark, one minute, 40, 150 or whatever. Um, but you'll know, you'll know if you just listen to your body. So that it's a it's a mind training thing. That's one thing that's kind of cool. OK, so now we're going to go back to we're going to hear Wim talking us through round three. OK, and then that would be the end of this little part of this. Breath hold from now on. Let the body do what the body is capable of doing. Be aware of your heartbeat. Slow it down. And just be in this moment. Let that relaxation spread down to your toes, into your fingertips, to the base of your neck and head. You're doing fantastic. One minute. Feel, become aware of your body. If your hands and feet are tingling, or you feel your body temperature is changing, that's okay.
three minutes. Take a deep breath in and hold. Five, four, three, two, one, and let go. Let your breathing return to normal as you finish up the round. Move your body bit so by I, bit. Start. I actually did that. Um, that three minutes, I, I, I did all those. The first one I'll read, read you my stats was one minute forty seconds. Second was two sixteen. The last was three minutes and two. And I rarely get over three. Um, and I wasn't trying to impress you guys. Like there's nothing ego about this. It's one of the things he recommends is you just, you push yourself, but you, you listen to your body. Like this is a mind training as much as it is, uh, making your body healthy. Uh, and for me, this is more like I'll do, I'm going to do my meditation next and I'm going to share that with you guys so you can hear my little routine there. That's this whole podcast will just be all that my my routine, Wim Hof and my morning routine. But if I was like really rushed to get somewhere, I would do this and, and skip the meditation because I had, like I said, one minute, 40 seconds, two minutes and 16. So that's three, that's four minutes there and three minutes. And that's seven minutes. And basically I'm meditating during that. And it's way more to me. You've got this oxygen and this buzz and like it, it's, I can meditate better during that than when I'm actually just meditating. Um, even if I do the meditation now, like usually I would go straight into the meditation from here. Um, so let's do that. And that closes up. Uh, there's one more thing I've been doing lately on the app. You can write a note. And so I go to the notes and I type in like how I'm feeling today. Like I, I refer to my, my manic polar, my bipolar feel good, uh, up mode, three hours sleep, little bit, I think you can hear my little bit uh, stuffy, a little bit stuffy nose. Maybe you're a little bit um, congested, but that's been ha this week. I've had kind of a, a little bit more of a runny nose. Uh, but when I do that breathing, um, when I started, it's quite different now. Uh, it feels clear. Anyway, so I write that down. Um, I write a note. And then that's that. The following is Wim Hof on the coronavirus. Hi guys, uh, about the coronavirus uh, situation. It paralyzed our uh, economy, paralyzed our social life, and, and now it paralyzes also, through the fear, our minds. We think we are not able to do anything against that. And I say there is a lot we can do. We can learn to boost our immune system, all evidence-based, almost instantly, uh, get more energy through these breathing techniques and going into the cold. We have proven this with this method. We uh, developed throughout the years, making it very accessible and very effective. It is really strong. The choice is yours. And there is no dogma behind it. I'm not gonna. I'm not selling. I'm. I'm just presenting something that works, and that works almost instantly. We got a free app for that, so you don't need to buy anything. You just take on the app, I fully, wholeheartedly endorse this. If you want more, you can do whatever. There's an online video course. I don't care. 
I just want to bring a message. And the message is, is that we uh, are able to do so much more at home against this paralyzing virus of our mind, our social life, and our economy. We can do so much more. And it gives also a sort of a opportunity to take on measures which are going to work when the coronavirus is long gone. We're going to feel happier, stronger, and uh, healthier. We learn how to uh, control our immune system much better, uh, our energy levels and our mood, uh, mood swings. We are able to learn to control that all a lot more and a lot deeper. Which uh, now the opportunity with the situation uh, of the coronavirus spreading, being at home, we are able to do so much more. This is always my message, but particularly now. Here it is. I wish you good luck. Take him on. It's your choice. He's a good person. I've, well, I've only known about him for about one year. I think I heard him on Russell Brand's podcast last February or March 1st, and then I started to do the breeding in May. Um, but I've watched some of his videos over the past year. He does different videos, and he's a good man. He's a good person, and that's not BS. He's not, you know, I think it's pretty clear from that message that, you know, he's just trying to share this. This is sort of his, he learned this technique, and now this is his gift to the world, of course. So, um, you know, the stuff I use through him and what I've learned, I don't pay anything for it. There's no money on his app. You go there and the breathing is right there. And then the t taking the cold shower, I haven't done that on his app, but if you want to learn how to do a cold shower, what you do is you take five, like you take, what I did to get into it was the first time you do it for five seconds and 10 seconds and 15. Actually, I found it was really not that hard. To me, what I find with the cold shower is it's the first five or 10 seconds that's the hardest part. At this point, it's not hard, but that that's when you feel the kind of like you're, you'll breathe it'll increase your breathing you'll feel this kind of <laughs> you know you'll feel that aliveness and but once you get kind of acclimated and for me it doesn't take that long this results may vary but once you get kind of acclimated then you can stay in longer but um i originally actually i'm thinking about now there's a meditation app i use and I paid $50 for the year back in like April last year and it had a bunch of courses and his course was on there, um, 30 day course. So I listened to him yak every morning and do the breathing. And then, yeah, it was like five seconds, 10 seconds. And by the end of it was, you could take a cold shower for three minutes. Um, because I was doing it here when it was warmer at that time, it was like I said, May, I, yeah, I found I could stay in much longer than that if I wanted to. And then I started questioning, like, am I going to be able to do the cold shower, you know, once it gets colder? And when it got started getting colder in November, I said, I'm just going to keep doing it, going to keep doing it, going to keep doing it. And now I've been through the winter and I love it. Like, I'm kind of disappointed in a way because in the winter, the water gets like really cold. <laughs> and now, like, especially in the summer here, the water is just not that cold. And I remember that last summer wanting it to be colder, uh, but the ground warms it up too much, so... But even so, you know, when you take the cold shower, it's really weird. It's, it's so interesting. It's fascinating. Um, 
the things I've noticed about it. Some of it seems counterintuitive, but I don't know if it is. But like you take the cold shower and when you get out, like if you take a hot shower in the winter and you get out, you feel that warmth originally, but then you start feeling cold again because like the air is colder than the, the water on your body. But when you take the cold shower and you get out, like you dry off and then you feel, you feel this kind of, your your blood's moving better, right? So it's like the internal, you're getting heated up from inside, but also because the cold on your body is kind of matched or lower than the air, maybe. Um, the air doesn't feel that cold. And here's another weird thing. This is the last thing I'll say about it. Before, if I take a hot shower and then get in the hot bath, and usually we'd have our bath temperature set just a little bit higher than the shower. When I get in the hot bath after a hot shower, the bath would feel kind of hot to me. Like, ah, it kind of hurts, hurts a little bit, you know? But when I do the cold shower, and again, this is totally counterintuitive. I don't know what this is, but my wife says because maybe because your blood vessels are like numbder. I'm not sure, but anyway, she, she had a comment. I thought, yeah, that might be it. I don't know. Um, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a science guy. I'm just an experienced guy. Does this work for me? So I can't really explain stuff using science. I mean, I could research it or whatever, but I don't really care. I just care if stuff works, and this does. You know, when you get in the cot in the hot, sh the cold bath after, or in the hot bath after the cold shower, like the hot water feels totally fine. It's easy to get into. So, it's interesting. Um, I guess I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, my body now is really to the point where I just don't like. In Japan, we don't. Our winters aren't that cold. It feels warmer than Washington because. The temperature is similar to Washington's winters, but it's not wet here, so the air is dry. There's a lot of sun, so it doesn't. The days that are cold here is when we've got the clouds or some rain, and it feels different. So, you know, I know, like at least you know, no matter where, where you are, it depends on what your winters are like. Um, but the point I was getting at is that for me now, I don't want to be in a room where a heater's on. Only in the winter when we got into January and February or certain nights where I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh man, it's cold in here. That's about the only time. And even then I'm just under my blankets and stuff. But, um, you know, I use the heater a little bit then. But like at the schools, I mean, I go to school like in Japan. They're so, I don't want to say weird, but maybe I'm just, you know, I'm outside a lot, right? And I'm, you know, I've gotten used to this cold. And I go to schools, and like in the afternoon, they're still running the heaters. And like yesterday, it was 65, 70 degrees, and like their heater's still on in the room. It's like turn off the heater and crack a window, you know? Like it's, it's just weird. But um, the schools here now will say this: the the buildings here, especially the schools um, inside, do feel colder because of the way they're insulated. They're insulated here for the summer. And the schools are concrete. So like yesterday I was in that in the room I'm going to go to today here in a little bit. And, you know, it was like getting into 50s, 60s outside, but the room felt cold. But having said that, I went down to the teacher's room to get some things. And it just feels hot and stuffy. And my brain just doesn't, I can't, like my writing and my creativity just doesn't work in that environment. It just doesn't, you know. So I'm so glad now that I got a room. Anyway, that's enough. This is about the Wim Hof method. Um, I'll do the... Yeah, anyway, that's enough. Try it, as Wim would say. It's okay. I love him. He's so cool. Bye. Okay, my meditations. So I usually do five to ten minutes, um, the silent meditation. I use a thing called the Insight Timer app. 
Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to, like the Wim Hof thing, there was a lot of that downspace. Um, hopefully I'll go back and tell you, well, I will, I'll tell you how long there's going to be of just silence. But I'll tell you that in the, you know, round three, um, you get to hear kind of his talking you through that. I don't listen to that anymore just because I don't want to be conscious of the time. I don't want to have anything telling me like, oh, it's two minutes. I got to, you know, I don't want to know that. I just want to do it naturally. Uh, but I just said that for you guys so you can hear it. And I do kind of like the, I got on YouTube, you can, you have to hear his talking. And uh, there was a while there, um, he put that out on YouTube in like November and there was like a month and a half there where I used the YouTube before the app came out. And I kind of started memorizing that, you know, that like, if you feel your body and your feet and hands are tingling, that's okay. Like, so, so sometimes it kind of even makes me laugh and then that will, you know, make me have to breathe. But anyway, um, so I got this five minute meditation here, insight.timer app. And I like this app. Um, you can put, I put bird songs in the background. Um, or I just open my windows. <laughs> uh, but there's running water and all sorts of stuff. So I will not, like I said, I'm, I'm going to record this separately. I'll stop this. And then you're going to hear after that, you're going to hear my little gratitude meditation I do. And that should be that. So, yep. So next I'm going to do five minutes of meditation. Here we go. Okay, so I forgot to mention, so at the start of the meditation, what I do, and I'm going to try to describe this, but I don't know if the body movements are that important for anybody, but for me, I like doing it this way. I, I take, I'm going to put the phone down here, hopefully talk loud enough. I put my hands together at my chest, and then I open them up, and as I'm opening them up, I breathe. Breathe in four and put until when I get to the four, I put my hands together like a steeple at the top of my head. And then I hold for seven and pull my hands down toward my heart. And then I open and kind of slowly like spread them out open like a, in circular fashion for eight seconds and then and then pull up for four. And when on the next one, when I pull up for four, I have a three-part little gratitude prayer, so I'll do the breathing the first round, then I'll say it. Okay, I'll just do it. You can hear it, hopefully. Okay. Thank you for the gift of another day. Thank you for the opportunities presented by this gift. May thy will be my will. And then usually I would do one more. And then I would settle into meditation forever long. Okay? And then I get to the end of the meditation. I stand up. And I do this. Try not to make a racket as I do this. So I'm, now I'm facing south. And again, I'm kind of doing the breathing, but it's a little more abbreviated. And 
I'll do this faster if I need to be. And uh, maybe I'll, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to write a companion blog post and I'll explain some of this part too. Because there's a lot to this. And I kind of developed this on my own um, over last year. Anyway, so face south. And I breathe in. Blow out. And then when my hands are at my bottom, I say, To the north, the night, the winter, the magician. Your attributes are intuition, transformation, intelligence, wisdom. Thank you for these attributes. May I access them as I may need them throughout my day. And then I turn and I face east. To the east. Here. Sorry, I put the phone down. To the east. The morning. The spring. The adventurer warrior. Your attributes are courage. Strength, curiosity, honor. Thank you for these attributes. May I access them as I may need them throughout my day. Okay, now I'm going to go to the south. To the south, the summer, the afternoon, the lover. Your attributes are spontaneity. Creativity, vitality, sensuality. Thank you for these attributes. May I access them as I may need them throughout my day. And then we go to the west. To the west. The fall, the evening, the king. Your attributes are discernment, benevolence, compassion, wisdom. Thank you for these attributes. May I access them as I may need them throughout my day. And then I face down to the earth and water. Your attributes are flow, connectivity, embodiment, perseverance. Thank you for these attributes. May I access them as I may need them throughout the day. And then the last one, I look up or kind of outward just in front of me, to the air and fire. Your attributes are transformation, inspiration, enthusiasm, passion. Thank you for these attributes. May I access them as I may need them throughout the day. And that's it. And I'll explain those more in the blog, if I do the blog. Thank you for listening to this part of the self-care podcast. <laughs> Okay, as an addendum to that, uh, when you, well, I probably should write the blog post. It probably won't happen today. Um, keep an eye out. I'll, I'll mention it in a future podcast. Um, just the timing. I don't, I'm probably didn't time this as well as I should have, but those attributes that I go through, uh, they kind of, there's variations. Uh, those are somewhat have been learned through learning about the four archetypes of the male masculine, four masculine archetypes, which are, again, the north is magician, the east is the, it's the warrior, but I like adventurer warrior, uh, the south is the lover, and then the west is the king, 
and the reason those connect to those directions well there's a lot to that so that's what the blog post should be about um, but you don't really need that you could just use those that I did if you really wanted to do that um, but it's just an added a way for me to do gratitude and also to sort of ask for if there are certain things like oh today I'm gonna need strength well you don't always know what you're gonna need throughout the day so I'm kind of evoking from the universe uh, I'm evoking like hey I know these are attributes that are available to me and if I might need this um, may they be available may I access them as I may need them throughout the day so that's the idea behind that and uh, again I did sort of intuitively and with some of the stuff I was learning put this all together this little system so um, and it works for me so that's hopefully good enough okay welcome to the Pacific Palisades preventative home for handicapped presidents and presidential wannabes are you here to see someone in particular yeah I'm Biden Hunter Biden here for my pa okay sure yes I think I saw him out in the balcony with his two, um, unlikely friends. Right this way. I just can't understand you, Donald. That's the Donald. You know, I'm never going to call you that. As I was saying, I just can't understand how, after the coronavirus collapsed the whole system, you still think somehow you were a good president. I collapsed the system, Bernie. That was my plan all along. But you never did understand four-dimensional checkers, which is why you lost to Joe here. Let's play checkers. We'll play later, Joe. And it's just not checkers, you idiot. Anyway, my good friend Joe here still thinks I won. Well, I won in the end. You won? You were voted out of office by the largest margin in the history of the country. Excuse me, gentlemen. I hate to interrupt, but... No, please do. I was just leaving. No, no. Stick around. It's always a tremendous time when Hunter joins us. Have a seat, boy. Why not? Can someone get me a drink around here? What do they got? God damn, boy. You're getting as forgetful as your old man here. How old are you now, anyway? 31? I'm 58. Stop calling me boy. What about that drink? Pina coladas are all they got at this dump. I can't believe I left the Trump Tower for this. We had the best taco bowls. I love Mexicans. You did not leave Trump Tower, Donald. I didn't? No. You were dragged out kicking and screaming by the Secret Service. That's right. You refused to give up the office, saying the coronavirus nullified the results. But the Supreme Court ruled against you and you wouldn't leave. Man, you're getting as bad as Pop here. Secret Court? Never mind. We'll get drinks coming. Where are they, by the way? This place is the worst service. Blame Bernie. I take no responsibility. Me? What did I do? You forced universal health care down our throats. You signed that into law, Donald. Don't you remember anything right? I have a tremendous memory. The best. My doctor even said so. Jesus fucking Christ. What did I do to deserve this fight? Grape ape? Finally. Let's drink up, boys. I propose we toast to AOC. To AOC? Communism has warped your brains. It's going to be Stefanik. Sounds too Ukrainian. You're one to talk about Ukraine. As are you, Donald. Oh, shut up already about Ukraine. America moved on from that nonsense eight years ago. Fine. Let's talk about pina coladas. What's there to talk about? A drink developed for the 1% that a 99% stole back. Who cares about all that socialist shit, Bernie? I was talking about the song. A song? Someone stole my thong?
No, Pop the Song. By what was his name? Rupert Murdoch? He worked for Fox News. Jesus, sometimes I wish you two were just as spaced out as Pop here. Pepsi? Or Coke? Neither, Pop. Pina Coladas. We're talking about Pina Coladas, the song. It was about a guy who was fed up with his wife. Like you, Donald. Quit your jabbing and let me talk. I'm your president, boy. Not anymore, and I'm not your boy. Finish the fucking tale already. So yeah, dude's in bed and reading the personal columns in the newspaper. And there's this letter, you see. And it says, If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. This was a great 1980s club song. Good times. Tremendous times. I did the biggest lines. The biggest. You know what always pissed me off the most about you, Donald? What? That I called you Crazy Bernie? No, that was a dumb nickname. No, that I busted my ass in politics all my life. Working. Working for the people. While you were out partying away. Your dad's money in Manhattan nightclubs. Snorting lines. Going bankrupt. Six times, using the people's money to get yourself back on your feet, and yet you, it was you who became president. God bless America. Not so blessed now, is it? It's better than it was. I mean, no more people without health care. Golf courses became park golf courses. You know, it ain't bad at all. Shut up, socialist Sanders. Let me finish the tale. At least I'm finger-licking good. And you said I had dumb slogans. No wonder you lost. Would you shut up, the Donald? Sure thing, son. So, this guy writes his own letter to the personals. Same kind of thing. Yes, I like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. And then he tells this mysterious person, if she wants to meet him, to go to a bar at noon the next day and they'll plan their escape. Just get to the fucking point already. Does he grab her by the pussy or not? For fuck's sake, Donald, do you ever learn... Pussy sperm? Oh, Pa, not you too. Jesus. Jesus Christ to the three of you. Of course he never learns. Neither does my good friend Joe. No one ever learns. Anyway, what's the catch? The catch? Yeah, did he get in her pants or not? No, you two old dumb fucks. He goes to the bar, the lady walks in, and it's his wife. Oh, God, what a nightmare. <laughs> That's beautiful. Now, now that you mention it, I used to listen to that tune with with Jane <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Back in Barrington in the day. <laughs> Blubbering Bernie. That's better, right? No, it's not demented, Donald. Demented? <laughs> For fuck's sake, I've had enough of you two, Pa. Yeah? See you next time. Don't forget your drink. See you next time, son. Chapter 15. Honesty's the best policy, right? After their conversation, Lucas and Larry decided they'd go out after all, but Lucas asked Larry to leave behind any dope, and Larry obliged. So they bounced from bar to bar, sharing laughs and friendly conversation with random people, but eventually Lucas felt home calling him and told Larry he'd have to call tonight. Larry decided he'd stay out of the town for a bit, but before the two men split up, they returned to the hotel where Larry handed Lucas a small envelope. Inside here are a few things that I hope can help your friend, he said. 
The first is another bag of mushrooms. The second is a bag of weed. Feel free to enjoy some too, but don't enjoy all of it, because there are three small baggies of that 5-MeO-DMT I was telling you about. Each baggie weighs out to about 15 milligrams of the stuff, and you should sprinkle it on top of some weed and have Sylvanus smoke it. Do not give him any more than that. You might want to even give him a bit less. But since you are running out of time, I think this dosage is called for. It's super-duper potent stuff, even more potent than its chemical cousin DMT, which a lot of people mistake it for. So, be careful. Got it, Lucas said. Any chance you might be able to join me the day I give it to him? Uh, maybe, Larry said. When are you thinking of doing it? At the earliest, midweek next week, Lucas said. I want him to have at least one more mushroom journey in him since it seems to be, at the very least, loosening his body up. Well, I'm booked all next week, Larry said. Too bad, Lucas said. Perhaps I can hold off until next weekend, though that's cutting it close. I think they might start cutting the trees down on October 8th, the Monday after that. Whoa, next weekend is October 6th? Yeah, why? Shit, I can't believe I forgot to tell you. I've got tickets for Bob Dylan that night. You want to go? Do I want to go? Heck yeah, Lucas said. Well then, how about we plan on me coming up to your place in the morning, giving your friend some of the 5-MEO, and then going to see one of the greatest living songwriters that night, Larry said. Sounds like a plan, Stan. That's Larry. Sherry, said the goofy redhead. And for the last time that wonderful night, the two men shared a laugh. All right, I'll let you get back. And Paul, keep your head up. This thing is going to work itself out as it should even if that doesn't exactly fit your plan. Thanks, Larry, for everything. The forested highway stretched out in front of him like a shining rainbow-skinned serpent into the night, and Lucas was deep in the middle of hitting the high notes on Prince's Baby I'm a Star when it happened. From out of nowhere, flashing blue and red lights appeared in his rearview mirror. But Lucas didn't swear, didn't slam the steering wheel, didn't do any of the things he normally would have. Instead, he calmly pulled over to the side of the road, and when he rolled down his window, offered the officer a gentle smile, not too big as to potentially give away the fact that he was still high, but nice enough to put him at ease. Evening, the burly officer said. License and registration, please. No problem, Lucas said, though he still wasn't sure why he was being pulled over. Again, though, rather than asking the officer, he was content to just follow the man's instructions and let the situation play itself out. After looking over his information, the officer asked, uh, Do you know why I pulled you over? Lucas thought for a second. Then he remembered. Perhaps because of my taillight? Bingo, the officer said. So how long have you known that it's been out? Lucas thought again. It had been out for over a month now, but he'd been caught up with everything else and just forgotten about it. Should he tell him the truth, or fib it a bit? A month or so now, he admitted. A month? the officer asked. Now, let me guess, you haven't had time to fix it during that month. Well, yes and no, Lucas said. I have been busy lately, but that's not exactly the best excuse, is it? No, the officer said and smiled. No, it isn't, but I'll tell you what. You've been honest with me, so I'm going to let you off with a warning. Get it fixed this weekend, okay? Because, quite honestly, driving down these forested roads in the dark without a taillight is kind of stupid. Lucas laughed. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm sorry, sir. I'll get it on tomorrow. And thanks. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, the officer said. Drive safe now. It was only five minutes later when Lucas realized that sitting on the floor of the passenger seat 
was the envelope Larry had given him. Whoa, Lucas thought. Not good. But then he realized. Had he been less pleasant and less honest with the cop, the whole situation could have gone south really quickly. Fortunately, though, he had. And so Lucas returned to Lincolnton, still a free man in a great mood. When he opened the door, however, the real challenge of the night was waiting for him on the couch. It was Terry, and it looked like she'd been crying. There you are, she said, and Lucas could hear a hint of anger in her voice. I'm that late? he asked and looked at the clock. 11.45. He was surprised she was still awake, but considering he'd often come home well after midnight after going out in the town in Seattle, he thought he'd done pretty well that night. No, not late, Terry said. But you are in trouble. Trouble? Lucas asked and smiled. Terry didn't say a word. Instead, she held up an acorn-sized bud of marijuana. Where did you get this? Oh boy, Lucas thought. From Larry. I should have figured, she said. Is that why you've been going out to see him these past few weekends? No, Lucas said. I mean, mostly no. Mostly no? Terry, let me explain, Lucas said. She crossed her arms over her chest. I'm all ears. For a brief moment, Lucas considered how much to tell Terry. Empowered by how being straightforward with the cop had saved him, he decided he'd hold nothing back. He told her about the night they saw Zoni Mash, the run-in with the African wildlife security guards and his frayed nerves, the shots of tequila, meeting the girl on the dance floor, and Larry's announcement that they'd be smoking together at set break. It was sort of a dilemma for me, he said. I hadn't told Larry about my agreement with you. He remembered that you smoked and that he and I had a tradition of smoking at set break. I probably didn't make the best decision, but I said, okay, with me so far? Yes, Terry said. But I'm still waiting for the part about why I found this in the garage. I'm getting there, Lucas continued, realizing he'd gotten carried away and reliving that fun night. On the way home, I've got the munchies, so I go to Jack in the Box. When I open the glove compartment to find some change, Larry's weed falls out. So he left it in the car? Terry asked, suspicion in her voice. Yeah, Terry, Lucas said. You know how forgetful Larry is, and weed doesn't exactly help in that department. Terry didn't say anything, so Lucas went on. So Larry calls me on Sunday night to ask about the weed. He tells me I'm free to smoke it if I want. He just didn't want me to get into trouble having it in the car and all. I told him I'd already smoked some of it. In the forest, of course. He said it was no problem. No problem for him, perhaps, Terry said. But what about us? What about our agreement? You do remember that, right? Lucas looked his wife directly in the eyes and said, I'm sorry. I really am. There's no excuse for it. I mean, I could say that you know I've been under a lot of stress this week, but I know that's kind of bullshit, too. Yes, Terry said. It is. And then she was silent. Lucas wanted to feel that silence, put something in it that would quickly seal shut the wound between them. But he had the realization that there was nothing he could say that night that could fix things. It wouldn't be that easy. Look, Paul, Terry finally said. You know I agree with you that the laws against pot should be changed. So you know I don't have a problem with it personally. The issue is about us, our ability to trust each other. Lucas didn't respond. He knew she was right. I know. I didn't want to lie to you, and I shouldn't have. And I certainly don't want to risk our careers and our family. Paul, she said, her tone softening a little bit. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. 
Well, I can appreciate that you've been under a lot of stress and that a puff of herb in the forest probably helped you. Probably wasn't going to lead you getting busted. I want you to think about what you're doing. I mean, really, if for some reason that bud had been discovered by somebody at school, do you think he'd still have a job now? Lucas hadn't thought about it that way. To be honest, he hadn't been thinking about any of it at all. He'd just been enjoying the stress relief getting high had been providing him. No, probably not. Definitely not. Yes, he said. Definitely not. Again, silence. He didn't know if this was where the conversation ended or not, but suddenly he felt like he had something else he needed to tell her. Terry, he said, since we are having this out, I need you to know something else. What's that? She said, and Lucas could tell she was preparing for the worst. Tonight, Larry and I took some MDMA, he said. E? Yeah, Lucas said. Larry thought it would help me see my situation in a more positive light, and he was right. But Paul, I wait, Terry, he said. I know it wasn't the smartest thing to do, but we took it in this hotel room, and we had a really great talk, and I'm now much more at peace with all of this. Larry really helped me talk the thing through. Unfortunately, nothing bad came of it. So, if you'll forgive me, I promise that I won't lie to you anymore. Hmm, Terry said. You know that it's hard to believe a promise from a liar, right? Absolutely, Lucas said. When we break someone's trust, it's hard to gain it back again. For that, I am deeply sorry. And I want you to know how much I appreciate how understanding you are being right now. Do I really have a choice? She asked. Of course you do, Lucas said. You're just choosing to handle this maturely. And I really, really appreciate that. Well, since we are being honest with each other, there's something I want to confess to you, Terry said. I never told you before, but I've taken MDMA before. And because of that, I had a feeling you were on it tonight. So you tell me the truth right now? Just won you some big time points. Consider it your first test of your commitment to honesty. You passed with flying colors. Lucas laughed. Speaking of flying colors, this room is looking a lot more colorful than usual tonight. Terry laughed. Old Larry must have given you some really good stuff then. He's a good friend, even if he's not always the safest influence. Isn't that the truth, Lucas said, and they both laughed. Before we hit the hay, I'm wondering something. You want to make love, don't you? Terry said. Yes, Lucas said, more directly than he meant. You're on, mister. The article in the Post that Friday morning wasn't entirely accurate. While it was true that Lucas's efforts to save the forest by revealing Sylvanus had failed, the impression the article gave was that Weston's decision had already been made. And before he went to bed that night, Weston wouldn't have disputed that. After all, what was left for the people arguing against them all? Yet as he attempted to fall asleep, a little voice inside of his head began to nag at him. When you went to the forest that first time, you did see a man's head in the tree speaking with Lucas. You can't deny that, it said. Not wishing to wake his wife, Weston spoke back inside of his mind. Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe? What do you mean, maybe? You saw it, and you were amazed. You felt like you were a kid again, truly overwhelmed with wonder. Are you going to deny that? He couldn't. Because he could vividly remember those powerful feelings, and thinking that the ball project was dead in the water. He also remembered how he thought he was going to be part of an amazing story that would cover the airways from coast to coast, and then around the world. 
No, I won't deny that, he admitted. But I wonder why it couldn't come out again. Perhaps Mr. Lucas is right, the voice said. Perhaps the man in the tree is afraid to come out again for all the reasons Mr. Lucas described. But that's not good enough, Wesson said, turning over on his side. He needs to show himself again. Otherwise, it's just an anomaly, perhaps an elaborate hoax by Mr. Lucas, or a trick of the light. Come on, you know that's not true, the voice said. You know it! I know no such thing, Weston said, turning over on his other side in a futile effort to become comfortable. Everyone knows that for science to accept a new discovery, or the results of some experiment, one of the criteria is that it must be repeatable. One-time events are not solid enough. You remember that feeling you had, your awe, when you saw that head? You remember thinking, if other people, including children, could see the head, they too could be amazed. So isn't Mr. Lucas's explanation that the tree man would be turned into a tourist trap a plausible one? The voice asked. I'm not saying it isn't, Weston said, but that's not my concern. My concern is whether there is enough evidence to rule against building them all there. And unless this man in the tree is willing to come out again, there isn't. But what of the forest itself? The voice asked. What of it? Every time you went there, you felt its power, its uniqueness, the voice said. Can you really honestly say you'd feel the same thing if you went to the Lincolnton Outlet Mall? Damn this voice, Weston thought. He decided to get out of bed, head to the kitchen, and pour himself a drink. He was by no means a drinker. He couldn't remember the last time he'd even been buzzed, but that didn't mean he was a teetor. The booze would, if nothing else, help him relax and hopefully get to sleep. Better yet, it might quiet the voice. As he went to the kitchen and prepared a shot glass and some whiskey, Weston thought about his predicament. He couldn't deny that he felt something unusual about the forest. Not only had he seen a man's head living in a tree, but the scare he and the scientists had had with the killer squirrels, the eerie noises, and the ghost-like figures had validated those feelings. Damn the developers! Why there? Weren't there other, most suitable places? He knew if he'd asked them, they'd come up with facts and figures to justify this location. They'd done their homework to present their case that couldn't be denied. He poured the first shot and downed the whiskey. It left a burn trail from his mouth to his stomach, but it didn't last long, and soon it turned to a warmth that spread through his body. It felt good. He thought about the reasons to rule against the developers. The forest had endangered species. Debatable. It was unique and inspired powerful feelings. A man's head lived in the side of one of its trees. Damn it, he thought, preparing another shot and quickly drinking it down. None of those things were legitimate. None of them were solid or could be proved. If he did rule in favor of the environmentalists, the developers wouldn't give up. They'd appeal the decision and he'd likely be overruled by some county judge who hadn't set foot in the forest and seen the man in the tree. In the end, it was not his fault that he'd have to rule in favor of them all. No, it was Lucas's. After all, the school teacher had promised that he could reveal the man in the tree to anybody at any time, and he'd failed. Twice. Yes, it was Lucas's fault. And even worse, Lucas had been unable to fess up to his failure. Instead, he'd come up with some harebrained rationalization about the forest being torn down and turned into a tourist trap. If the man came out, crazy, absolutely crazy. But still... Weston took another shot and felt himself verging on drunkenness. 
he decided to go in his den and watch TV for a while. He hoped the yakking of the TV could stop the voice from returning. So as he sat down and turned on the TV, he put the decision as far out of his mind as he could. He had until Monday, and he could give it a final look then. And meanwhile, the little voice in his head had gone completely silent. Chapter 16 Watch What You Say, Mr. The next morning, Lucas was watching a political talk show with Terry, while Scarlett was creating an art project in her bedroom. One of the topics was about the comedian Bill Maher, who had a show on ABC called Politically Incorrect. Apparently, Maher had said that the 9-11 suicide terrorist acts were not cowardly, but that Americans dropping bombs from airplanes thousands of feet in the air was. In the charged climate of those days, the comment had stirred a controversy so big that it had caused White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer to make a statement about it. As part of his comment, he had said, This is a reminder that Americans need to watch what they say and watch what they do. Lucas was still in a relaxed, compassionate mindset, so rather than screaming at the TV, he simply said to Terry, I can't believe that's the lesson he wants us to take out of this incident. Though she hadn't taken MDMA the night before, Terry was also in a good mood, spurred on by their lovemaking session, and maybe more importantly, by their heart-to-heart -heart talk. What lesson do you want them to take from this, Paul? Well, here's the thing, Lucas started. It's like last night. If I had watched what I said when I was talking with you, I would have been less honest, right? And if I'd been less honest, do you really think we'd be sitting here enjoying our morning and our time together? No, probably not, Terry said. Perhaps he's saying that people shouldn't be honest for fear of the reaction it will cause. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically, Lucas said. And you hit upon a key word, fear. Perhaps we should fear less about the reaction our honesty will cause than about the reaction our dishonesty will cause. We may not get caught right away when we are being dishonest, but lies add up and are usually revealed. And once revealed, the reaction of them usually is a lot worse than if we'd just been honest in the first place. Terry thought about this for a second. That's a good point. It's like a wound. If you wash it and clean it now, it hurts now. But if you ignore it, it will get infected and lead to more pain in the long run. Nice analogy, Lucas said. I can connect this to the events of my life the past few weeks. Up until I discovered Sylvanus, I was cruising, always thinking about not causing a stir, just trying to fit in, play my role. And even though I wasn't totally aware of it, this was frustrating to me, a lot. So, after I discovered the tree man, I started paying more attention to my real feelings and speaking my mind more. If I felt or thought something, fine. And yeah, this has caused me some difficulties, but you know what? Overall, I feel a lot better. I really think being honest and accepting and speaking our truth, whatever it is, leads to us feeling psychologically and physically better. Absolutely, Terry said. Now, I just hope you remember that, not only in dealing with me, but in how you go forward with the various problems you're facing. Because I have a feeling you're not even being close to out of the woods with all of these things. Lucas laughed. Why are you laughing? Just your use of the phrase, out of the woods, seemed appropriate, considering. Terry laughed, too. <laughs> Unintentional. Anyway, keep at it, honey. 
No matter what happens, don't listen to a moron like Fleischer. Because the truth is, this is a time, more than ever, where Americans need to be honest and not be afraid to say what they feel. They spent the rest of the weekend attending to everyday things. For one, Lucas lived up to his word to the police officer and got his taillight fixed. Though he wasn't completely honest with Terry, he didn't tell her about being pulled over. Is an omission truly a lie? Lucas wondered, but felt deep down that the answer was yes. They also went to the Super Bowl in Auburn, though neither really enjoyed the experience. Mostly, they'd promised Scarlet they'd take her to her favorite knick-knack store and buy her a small gift as a reward for her doing well in her math test. On Sunday, the family visited Sylvanus. Lucas could see he'd made decent progress on getting himself out of the tree. The bark around his body was falling away. Encouraged by this, Lucas decided against giving the tree man any mushrooms that day. Of course, there was also the logistical difficulty of giving them to him in front of Scarlet. He figured he could tell her it was a special medicine to help Sylvanus get out, but in the end, decided he didn't want to, even if it was the truth. He also wanted to have a smoke, with Terry, but knew that, even more than the mushrooms, this would be a big risk in front of Scarlet. The girl was at the age where she was starting to get indoctrinated by the public miseducation system about the evils of drugs. One way they did this was to have officers from a program called DARE, Drug Abuse Resistance Education, come to schools and frighten the kids away from drugs with horror stories about their dangers. Notably, they spent most of their time fear-mongering about pot. If asked, they'd argue that this was because marijuana was the most common illegal drug of abuse. Lucas, though, felt the real reason was because it was the safest, so the only way to combat it was to make the lie bigger and bigger and repeat it over and over again until the kids believed it. Lucas didn't disagree with the motivation of the D.A.R.E. program. He also didn't want children to use drugs. But it was the misinformation presented and how they presented it with fear that bothered Lucas. And why did they have to start so young? Lucas knew the reason was because if you're going to indoctrinate a human being, it's best to go after them early when A. They don't have the experience to make them doubt, B. They are more open-minded, and C. They are less likely to question authority. Of course, Lucas had kept most of these thoughts to himself at his school when the D.A.R.E. officials had come. He'd occasionally ask them some tough questions, but in a respectful manner. Lucas's basic philosophy was to question authority, but do it respectfully. And he wanted his kids to learn this method. But he also didn't want to bring unnecessary attention to himself, because he'd heard of D.A.R.E. officers reporting suspicious teachers. That wasn't the worst thing they did, however. No. The worst thing was telling children to rat out their parents if they saw them using drugs. It's one thing for a person to be conscious of the consequences of betraying someone, but a little kid? How many of them would rat out their parents if they knew tattling on mommy and daddy was going to mean mommy and daddy would be taken away and locked up? Or maybe, from their perspective, if the kid knew the family would, due to legal fees, have less money to buy them things. No, kids had no idea, so Lucas found this advice horrendous. In addition, should a kid follow it, didn't it stand to reason that as they saw the consequences play out, they'd stop trusting the police? 
maybe even start hating them? It was classic ends justify the means thinking. Still, Lucas had done nothing to stop the cops from giving this advice. Maybe this year. Anyway, with these thoughts in his mind that Sunday, Lucas played it safe and didn't smoke with his wife, though he wanted to. Perhaps he was listening to her after all. On Monday morning, Lucas was still in a relaxed, open mood. The events of the weekend had erased his negative, alienated thoughts. However, when he arrived at school, he remembered them and decided to face them head-on. So rather than avoiding the teachers in the staff room, he found Danielson and Rialto sitting on the couch and, in front of several teachers, said, I need to tell you guys something. I'm really sorry. I understand that, like me, you guys are very disappointed we couldn't save Last Rush. Paul, Danielson said, first, thank you, but perhaps... He looked around at the other teachers, all who couldn't help but listen to the conversation. We shouldn't be doing this publicly. No, Lucas said, let them hear it. I'm not going to pretend anymore, nor do I want to keep secrets. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Well, we've, Rialto pointed at himself and Danielson, certainly got nothing to be ashamed of. Not so sure about you. Come on, Willie, Danielson said. Think about... No, Sam, the PE teacher said, standing up so he could look directly at Lucas and not feel like he was being talked down to. I can appreciate Paul apologizing, but an apology doesn't always excuse an action. Lucas wanted to respond, but before he did, he realized something. You're right, Willie. Absolutely. As I said to you last week, I'd have trouble believing me if I was you. It's too far out. But that doesn't mean it's not true. At this point, does it even matter? Rialto asked. We lost, pure and simple. And no amount of make-believe is going to change that. You're right about the forest, Danison said. And it hurts to lose it. But we have to move on. Yes, Lucas said. All in good time. I just don't want this experience to continue clouding my relationships with my colleagues. Fair enough, Danielson said. And trust is a funny thing, Paul. Once a person loses it, it's damn hard to get it back. Sometimes impossible, Rialto agreed. You know, the only way for you to really gain my trust and full respect is if you were to show me this tree man. Oh, Lucas said, not expecting the conversation to move in this direction. I don't know about that. Why not? Rialto asked, slapping his hand on Lucas's back as though he were trying to encourage the quarterback to go win the game. Well, I'd have to run it by Sylvanus. He's... Rialto laughed. What? Lucas asked. I just think it's funny you've given your tree friend a name, Rialto said. Why is that so funny? Lucas asked. It just is. Whatever, Willie, Lucas said. I suppose it wouldn't change your opinion if I told you that since we've discovered that his real name might be Luke Green. Again, Rialto laughed and said, <laughs> You couldn't do better than that. Luke, like Lucas. Green, like the forest. It's a bit too coincidental to be true. And don't be so sure, Danielson said. What, are you saying you believe him? Rialto asked. No, not necessarily, Danielson said as he walked over to the sink to wash out his coffee mug. I just happen to think coincidences are sometimes more than that. Like synchronicity? Lucas asked. Exactly, Danielson said. Doesn't matter what you call it, Rialto said. Because nothing's going to convince me unless I see this tree man with my own two eyes. Now that the air had cleared some, Lucas felt better going to class. 
As a result, he was better equipped to enjoy his role as a teacher. Lucas could remember an editor at the newspaper in Santa Barbara who'd given this speech about no matter what was going on in your personal life, when you got to work, you had to leave that all at the door. The company expected no less. Lucas understood this advice, but found it hard to follow, and a bit harsh. It was as though an employer expected its employees to be robots who could press a button and turn off one's emotional state of mind. Was it any wonder denial played such a big role in society, with beliefs like that so commonly accepted and practiced? For the first 20 minutes of class, though, Lucas didn't have to deny his feelings in the slightest. He loved entering the mindset of his kids and meeting them on their playing field, and usually his kids responded well to that. But then it happened. Lucas called on Chris Lee, who answered his question without his usual enthusiasm. Lucas asked the boy if something was wrong, and Lee answered, No, everything's fine. The answer didn't satisfy Lucas, but he had 25 minutes of class to teach, so he put it out of his mind as best as he could. When the bell for morning recess rang, Lucas called Lee to his desk while the other kids ran outside to play in the fall sunshine. I'm fine, Mr. Lucas, Lee said, without prompting. Really? You don't seem like yourself, Chris. I'm just a little bit tired, but really, I feel good. Much calmer. Lucas thought about this. Was calmer necessarily better? Can I ask you a personal question, Chris? Um, yeah. Did you start on any medication? Yeah, Lee said. On Saturday. It's taken a day or two, but it seems to be working okay today. Well, Lucas finally said, I'm glad you think so. Now, run along. Enjoy your recess. Thanks, Mr. Lucas, Lee said, and walked out of the door. Lucas noticed. Before, Lee would have sprinted out the door, likely earning him a no running in the hall from a teacher walking by. So yeah, Lee's new behavior was more in line with what the school expected from its students, but... Is that really better? Lucas was asking Wendy at lunch. I don't know, Paul, she said. To tell the truth, I hadn't really thought about it. Well, I have, and I don't think it is, Lucas said in between bites of his PB&J sandwich. No one's surprised to hear that, Paul, McCollum said, butting in from across the room. But I'm guessing you're outnumbered on this one. Well, you know what Mark Twain said about thinking the same as the majority, Lucas said, racking his mind for the quote. It was something like, and I paraphrase, the moment you realize you are thinking the same as the masses, it's time to re-examine your thoughts. Well, Twain was a crank, McCollum said. Besides, not sure how relevant that is. It's very relevant to the comment you just made, Lucas said. You seem to be denying the validity of my perspective, simply because most people don't share it. I'm not denying anything, McCollum said. Just pointing out, we think you're wrong. Wendy laughed, which caused Lucas to shoot her a glance. Look, I can see how a quieter class is easier to teach and control. I just think these are children, so too quiet is kind of creepy. Maybe, McCollum said. Sometimes creepy is necessary. Lucas paused. He really had no response to the oddness of this statement, so rather than continuing the conversation, he returned his attention to his sandwich, keeping silent for the rest of the lunch. How is a person supposed to relate to such creepy logic?